October 3rd, 2016, Donald Edward Fickey Jr., also known as DJ, was found dead with a shotgun wound to his face. DJ's death was ruled a suicide. His family knows better. With physical evidence to back them up, DJ's sister, Amanda, seeks justice for her brother. From the beginning, Amanda states her brother was murdered, and police botched the investigation from the get-go. And now, Crime Pursuit Podcast is in pursuit, seeking justice for DJ. So, let's join the pursuit. Let's fight to get justice for DJ. Hello, hello. Welcome to Crime Pursuit Podcast. I am your host, Ed Bounds, along with Jackie Fest and Heather France. And we have a new pursuit. Jackie, Jackie, Jackie. Hello. I have been waiting on this pursuit. Yes. In Georgia, on October 3rd, 2016, a 911 call came through that Donald Fickey Jr., also known as DJ, had reportedly shot himself. From the beginning, there was never a serious investigation. From dispatch advising 911 caller, Marshall Payne, also known as Mark, to tamper with evidence by having him handle the firearm, to police not securing the scene, and through medical examiner findings, nothing added up with DJ's death being a suicide. And his sister Amanda knew all too well things were not adding up. Amanda has built an amazing case of evidence that clearly shows DJ Fickey's death was not suicide, but yet a murder. Yep, and that is the facts. Good job. Like I said, I have been waiting on this. Yes. And when I say I've been waiting, I have been waiting for this. You know, to keep reading and reading and listening to the audios, pisses me off every time oh, <laughs> it, yeah. It, yeah it puss, it pisses me off i don't understand just like you you keep saying why this haven't went to the district attorney and criminal charges have not been filed you know against this man most definitely i i, I don't get it so and like you said you go through and read and read and read but everything we've read, something through that, there's evidence. Boom, boom. It stacks up. Yes. And you're absolutely right. So, I, I don't know. We, but we're going to get on to it anyway. We have a special guest with us. And we have DJ's sister. And we have her with us to bring you the true story of what really happened to her brother. Amanda... 
How you doing? I'm okay. How are you? I'm feeling okay. Like I said, this bothers me a little bit since we've been working with you. Not only me, but Jackie, Heather. Just understand, I'm upset about this. And you, just reading this and listening to those 911s, listening to him lie, I got a lot to talk about. Yep. We have a lot to talk about. But Amanda. And I encourage it. <laughs> good, good. Amanda, welcome to the show. So take us back. Take us back on what happened. Okay. We will, I guess we will start off with uh, around 2014. Um, that was when DJ and Brandy had, a, had their first child together. Um, a couple months later, they got married. Everything was you know, pretty good that first year. They got, when she got pregnant again, she was having twins at the time. And right after her twins were born, DJ and Brandy started having trouble. They had some trouble along the way. No more than anybody else does. But they they had a drug problem for one was their main problem. Um, when one would want to get help, the other one wouldn't. When the other one would want to get help, the other one didn't. So it was kind of back and forth. Um, during this time, right after the babies were born, Brandy started seeing and having an affair with another another man that was a mutual friend with someone of BJ. And they would go to this house that belonged to the old man, which was DJ's mutual friend. Well, there was a guy that we call, you know, the suspect, person of interest, roommate. We haven't actually used his name out there yet. But her ex-boyfriend is what I call him now. Um, he lived in a camper on the property, and that's who she was actually having an affair with. And she would just go, she would go back and forth between him and DJ. He was supplying Brandy with drugs, and I believe that would be the main reason that she would go to him. And DJ would always win her back. They would come back home. They would be good for a few weeks. But she would find a reason to leave. She would end up back up there with him. My brother would go after her to win her over. He'd win her over. They'd come back home. It was just a non-continuous thing for, like I said, for at least eight eight months to a year it, it was back you know just back and forth that's all that all that they did back and forth and um a couple of weeks prior to dj's murder they started having the, the ex-boyfriend and dj started having a lot of physical altercations with one another this guy was obsessed with brandy he didn't even want dj and brandy talking to one another when they were there so the guy went uh, jumped DJ when DJ got out of the shower and put a knife to his throat. Um, a couple of days before this, he actually pulled the gun on DJ and Brandy while they were sitting out in the swing talking about getting back together and coming and living back down here in Alabama with my mom. Um, they got into a physical altercation with a ball bat and a golf club. The person of interest, you know, DJ was walking down the steps out, out of the house and jumped DJ with a ball bat. And my brother picked up a golf club, and they swung it out, you know, and had their fight and everything. And so this was just a couple of days, two days prior to this. Um, the day, matter of fact, I believe it was the same day DJ and Brandy had gotten back together, which would have been October the 1st. Sometime between September the 30th and October 1st, they had gotten back together. Um, so now we're up to the morning of... October 3rd, Monday, October 3rd, the day DJ got shot. Um, DJ woke up, 
started texting my mom, telling her, I got to get out of here. My life depends on it. I'm going to end up dead here. Uh, my mom's, you know, my mom's going through a lot of health problems with her heart. And her doctor told her to stay away from stressful situations. With DJ and Brandy around, that was, that wasn't going to happen because of the way that they bickered and argued back and forth when she would get ready to take off again. <clears throat> Excuse me. So my mom, my mom told him no that he couldn't stay here. She told him, you know, gave him different options, a place to go, and just told him. She couldn't handle the stress that they were doing her surgery. She was having a pacemaker put in, and he just—I mean, he—he he told her, "Don't, don't make me beg you. You know, we're both going to end up dead here if we don't get out of this situation. That you get out of this home." Um, two to three minutes after that last text came through, um, nine one one was called by the person of interest, saying, "Hey, we got a guy here that shot himself," and um. We didn't know for, I think it was about two hours after, it was about an hour and a half after DJ had got shot before we even knew anything about it. And it wasn't the police that had called us, it wasn't a detective, it wasn't nobody, it was actually someone that lived in the home that called us and told us about it. And from the time 911 was called, matter of fact, in the 911 call, they actually tell the person of interest to unload and secure the weapon and get it out of the way so everyone, you know they're they're telling him to tamper with evidence um when the first the only two people that i will give credit to on this case is the first two officers that arrived on the scene because the officer that arrived on the scene pulled in he was met by the person of interest with the spent shotgun shell in his hand at his car and of course he told him i was told to unload and secure the gun and get it out of the way. Um, he asked if there was anybody else in the home where the gun was located, where the, you know the body was, and he went in and secured the scene. When EMT showed up, he told them, "Don't touch anything. This could be a possible crime scene." So those two, the first two responding officers, that are the only people that I actually give credit to on this case because they did their job correctly. Once the coroner, the detective, and the coroner showed up about the same time, they. Didn't, they got statements from the person of the interest. Of course, his statement was they actually caught him in a lie within a 30-minute time frame because his first story was he was, I believe, outside when he heard the gun go off. And then his next story was that he was in another room when he heard the gun go off. And that's what they went with. They went with suicide. They didn't do any kind of investigation whatsoever. They didn't rope off the crime scene with tape. I mean, they didn't do anything. They just they just went with suicide. Well, let me ask you something. Detectives, well, the police that you said that you give credit to, did they go with it was suicide? I, did that, What made them change? The officers, the policemen that showed up on the crime scene, they just secured the scene, you know, and made sure there wasn't anyone else in the home. And that, you know, basically just secured the scene. That They didn't have anything to do with the investigation or anything. Once the detective arrived on scene, he took over. Him and the coroner took over the scene, and the officers left. Okay, so this detective in the coroner, they took over the investigation at this point, right? Yes. Okay, tell me what happened with that. Um, that would be when the detective actually went into the room, you know, went into the room where DJ's body was. Um, he observed the body. And they took several photos of around the home and of DJ. Um, he noted that DJ was shot at a close range, and it looked like a downward angle. 
that there was no exit wounds sighted at the time. Um, the, uh, he took a statement from the person of interest. The person of interest told him, you know, it was a suicide. And then that's when that's when he that he changed the story and told him that he struggled with the gun. That he tried to get the gun away from DJ. That he was struggling with the gun. And uh, he had already the detective had already noted, you know, the other story he originally said. So that's when he called him into his first life, and he didn't want to point it out because he wanted to keep him talking. Um, but during all this time, my mom was trying to get a hold of somebody, and someone called her back, and she was under the impression that it was the detective that had called her back, and it was actually the coroner. My mom told him, you know, this is not a suicide. I have text messages on my phone where he was texting me in fear for his life. He was killed. And the coroner told her, no, we have a witness that saw him do it. He killed himself. But I'm going to go ahead and send him to GBI for an autopsy. And so they did. They sent him to GBI for an autopsy. My mom arrived at the scene. My husband took my mom to the crime scene. She arrived at the scene. The detectives and everybody were wrapping up, and they were actually in their cars backing out as she was leaving. And she stopped them and told them she wanted everyone there tested for gunshot residue. And, you know, that this was this was a murder. She knew this was a murder. They they literally let my mom go into that trailer and see the aftermath of my brother's murder. And she and she told the investigators that she wanted them to do a gun residue test on everybody involved in the house, right? In the trailer, excuse me. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Everyone involved. And they told her that they did. They told her they did. They told her they did. Okay. Okay. Wow. Um, we're going to run this. There's three 911 calls. So at this time, we're going to do 911 call one first. Um, here we go. Walker County, no. Uh, sorry, I need a, uh, I'm at the, uh, 862 Nick Jack Rose. Okay, what's the problem? Uh, what guy shot himself? Okay, what's he shooting himself with? A shotgun. Okay, is he breathing? Uh, it looks like, yeah, I don't know. I just think How old is he? I tried to get the gun. I tried to get the gun. What is it? A twelve gauge? Uh, yeah. Is he still able to talk? Huh? Is he still able to talk? No. I mean, he's stuck in his mouth. All right. Is he still breathing? Yeah, it looks like. It. Yeah. 
Station 2, respond. Okay. Now, that was 911, tape 1. Now, let me say this. You can clearly hear this dispatch either that was his first day on the job or he was just incredibly stupid. Right. This guy just told you, if you listen in the beginning, this Mark, I mean, we know that that's not his real name, clearly mentioned that he stuck a gun in his mouth, a shotgun. Yep. And yet, this dispatcher asked, can he talk? Why would you ask... Why would you ask the caller that? Now, that call, 911 call, that was in exactly two minutes, nine seconds. And you hear at the end of that, he says, hold on, we about to get, I'm going to get things going. No, dude, you're supposed to have that going anyway. Exactly. But before I go off into that, Amanda, how far did they live out away from emergency services Sheriff's Department Hospital, you know. Um, I would say that they were about 20 minutes away from the Sheriff's Department. Um, but of the ambulance service, I'm going to say it was about around the same distance. Hospital, about 30, 45 minutes away. They actually put in for a life force. They called in for a life force, and they canceled it. Okay, but... The sheriff's department have deputies patrolling nearby or close by. Am I correct? Oh yeah. Now, he this dispatch. I talked to a dispatch that's been doing it for nine years, and she clearly told me how they do things. When they get that type of call, mm -hmm. immediately she asks where this is taking place. Give me the address. Soon as the address is communicated to her. Then she sends it out to medical and police and have them already en route. And then she starts the questioning process. This guy clearly said, hey, I'm going to get everybody started. He kind of put him right. on hold. Yeah, like put him on hold. Like, yeah. you know, can he talk? And, you know, I'm thinking this guy was this his first day on the job or he's just an idiot. I'm going to vote. He's an idiot. I'm voting. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to go to uh, 911 tape two. Oh my God! 
Listening to that, once again, this idiot, the guy, the caller, the person of interest, clearly already told him, A, he shot himself with the shotgun. B, he said he put it in his mouth. Now, if you listen to the dispatcher that he's dispatching to the medical and police, he's given the rundown on what what has happened. Why didn't you do that in in 911 call the first one? Why did you do this on the second one? This guy is a complete idiot. I couldn't, when I heard this, I couldn't even believe it. Right. You know, they could have had medical staff out there, the ambulance, or, or the sheriffs, who are also trained to deal with medical situations. They could have had them there. And sound like to me, he was just now dispatching them to, you know, to this area. Right. And I also want to point out that Mark called 911, hung up on them, and that call too was him calling 911 calling Mark's phone back right okay yeah I wanted to point that out for our viewers yeah that was that was uh our listeners (laughs) that was the operator that was calling the person of interest phone so we want to make that clear okay we're going to go to 9113 once again, this is the 911 operator calling the person of interest back. Hello. Mark. Oh Mark. Mark, can you hear me? Yes, This This is Walker County 911, okay? 911. Okay. Mike, listen to me, okay? I will, because I get out of here. Smart. Okay. Mike, I need to talk to you. Can you give me your attention? Yes, sir. Okay. The gun, where is it located now? It's in the chair with him. Okay. I, I got the gun up and checked to see what it was. It was a 12 gauge. Okay. So you moved the gun, is that correct? 
Yes. Okay. Can you secure that gun? Can you get it unloaded safely and, and lay it to the side out of the way? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Can you do that while I'm talking to you? Yes, ma'am. Okay. I'll give you just a minute, okay? I think I told me to get the, the gun and secure it. No, don't don't shoot it. Secure it. Unload it. Unload it. Listen, Mike, Mike, the, are you going to be the one doing it? Ain't got, it ain't but a single shot. It looks like okay. a shot Okay, so there's nothing in the gun at this point, correct? No. The gun is empty, correct? No. Well, now this was a different operator dispatch. This lady came on. I'm um, I'm assuming she was the probably a supervisor, or maybe another 911. I don't know, but she makes even a dumber uh, telling him to get the gun when clearly you don't even know. Just because the caller tells you that it was suicide doesn't mean it's right. a suicide. And I didn't understand that. And we will have someone here later that will explain what she should have done. Amanda, listening to these three 911 calls, what did you learn from them? What did they tell you and your family? Yeah, he was full of it. For one, the very first thing you pick up on is, hey, we got a guy here that shot himself. He distanced himself personally from DJ. Like, he's just some stranger on the side of the road, you know, that he, he doesn't know DJ. That's your number one thing. When when you're you're guilty of something or you, you've done something and you're going to distance yourself from that person to make it on a non-personal level. I agree. That was my first thing that I noticed because he knew DJ. He should have said, hey, I've got a friend here that's killed himself or I've got, you know, this guy named DJ right, killed right. just something, you know. That was my number one thing. Right. And um, the number two thing was he wasn't attempting to give DJ any CPR to exactly. try to help, help save his life. He, he, he says, is, you know, the 911 dispatcher asked, is he still breathing? Yeah, he looks like it. Well, nor, neither did the person of interest or the 911 dispatcher try to do CPR, speak of CPR. They did nothing. Why, why wasn't that done was my second thing. And then the third thing was throughout all three calls, he's putting the focus on him himself. Instead of DJ, I tried to get the gun, you know, to, I, I, I did this, I did that. It, it's not about DJ. It's about, it's all about him. Yep. He's already laying out his story, you know, planning out his story to make himself look innocent. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. I agree with you all the way. Yeah, I do too. He was mapping out his alibi as he went. Now, listening to those calls, I don't know, uh, Jack and Heather, if you guys caught this. But if you listen to the calls, each one, the first, let's go to 911 call, the first one. He says he's talking to dispatch. Everything's going according to the conversation between him and the, the dispatcher. Then when Brandy starts coming up screaming, mm -hmm. the person of interest immediately does not pay the, the operator, the dispatcher, any attention at all. Right. He can't answer his questions or nothing because he is so focused on Brandy. Now, mm -hmm. why is that? 
because Brandy, he's worried about Brandy going to say something. He hangs up. Yep. So I'm assuming. Yeah, on the, huh? On the second 911 call is where you can actually hear Brandy pretty, I mean, you can't understand her, but you can hear her in the background, you know, hysterically. And the closer she gets to the phone, it's about the same time he hangs up on 911. Yes. Exactly. And I'm going to I'm gonna go to that call real quick. And I'm going to point that out because at that point, he, if you listen, and I want the listeners to really listen to when I play this, because he's explaining to the dispatch of how this happened. And the person of interest make, he says to the dispatcher, she, I went to try to get the gun or something and she did something. And it sounded like Brandon, like, no, 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 that's not what happened. Mm -hmm. And then DJ, I mean, uh, not DJ, excuse me. The person of interest immediately start telling her, like, you know, become arguing, combative. Like correcting with her. Yeah, her. trying to correct. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to play that. And, le and I want you guys to really, really listen to this. Hold on. His name is CJ. Yeah, it's 12 guys. Okay, I know it's 12 gauge. Yeah. All right, here it comes. You can clearly hear him tell Brandy, will you please, when I heard that, Brandy was saying something that he didn't want dispatch to hear. Yep. This is why he hangs up on dispatch not once, not twice, but three times. Because each time Brandy got close to that phone, Brandy, being that crying and everything, we couldn't make out what she was saying. Right. I sent these 911 uh, calls to different people to listen to them. They couldn't make them out. So, therefore, I'm just, you know, I truly believe that Brandy was getting ready to say something that he didn't want dispatch to hear. Each time he hung up. Each time. Each time. Uh, I definitely agree. And actually, I can't 100% say for sure, but it s almost sounds like Brandy says you shot him or something to that effect. But again, I can't right. make it out enough without probably high-tech equipment, and I don't even know if we could then. But it almost sounds like she says you shot him. Well, I, I can't 100% say that. Yeah, and, and that's what I thought, too. But I didn't want to jump to that because that's right. I couldn't say for sure. Right. I can't say it for sure, but it, you can clearly hear her in the distance just hysterical. And like like you said, um, when he distanced himself, you made an excellent point on that, that when people do that, and you see that often with, like, spouses that kill um, their families or kill their wives, they will distance themselves, and they won't even call them by their first names. They will call them different names uh, because that's a natural reaction uh, when, you're, when you are guilty. So you made an excellent point to that. So, Amanda, what do you think of what, what, you know, what Brandy coming up there kept interfering while he was trying to talk to the dispatch? What do you and the family think? I believe so. I'm not 100% like Heather. I'm not 100% sure, but I have... I have played with those 911 calls for two and a half years now. You know, I don't have the high-tech equipment either. I have earbuds, and I have, you know, 
this computer software, but I have slowed them down, sped them up, volumed all the way up, volumed down, you know, I've done everything with those. And there's actually one part in the second call where it, Brainy gets close to him, and it sounds like she's saying, give me the phone, I want to talk to them. And that's when he hangs up on them. Yeah. And so yes. I, that's what I, I, heard. I feel like he was on high alert that he did not want her flipping up and saying anything that would get him busted. I that agree. would tell on him for what he did. I agree. I actually wrote I that in my notes. And you, you know what? Also, a big reason why he hung up that phone, too, is he's trying to get his story straight, like mm-hmm. we said. You know, instantly, he's probably pacing around, thinking in his mind, trying to buy time. So no normal person, if they're not guilty, is going to hang up on 911 because they want help. They want, you know, somebody to come quickly. In fact, they'd be saying come quickly and, and just panicking in that manner, but they don't hang up. I agree. Um, so that's a big indicator of guilt. Yep. Heather is so right with that. We're going to play call between a private investigator that was hired by Amanda and the family that called the medical examiner. Am I correct? Yes. Okay. We're going to go to that now. Hi, Mr. Eccles. My yes. name is Dr. Grandi. How are you? Hey, how you doing, Dr. Randy? Doing well. I'm glad you remember me. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so I just wanted to let you know we got the toxicology report back on Mr. Ficky. Mm-hmm. And it showed uh, stimulants that were present and not any depressants in mm-hmm. his drug, uh, mm-hmm. in his blood. And based on that, I am going to stick with the cause and manner of death that are listed in the autopsy report. And if you need a copy of the toxicology report, you can request that via open records, which I believe you've been in touch with to get copies of the autopsy report and other items as well. So to make sure I understand, the toxicology report came back and the drugs that were found, does it indicate that it was a homicide? You're sticking with suicide? It it shows a stimulant that's present. Uh And based on that information, there's not anything that would appear to have rendered him unable to defend himself. And it appears that it is most consistent with a suicide still. Huh. Even after all the other evidence? Yes. Huh. <laughs> okay. And, and even, I mean, did, was there a... Um, a firearm residue test done on Mr. Ficky before he was cremated? Let me... Because I didn't see that in your report. It is not routinely performed unless it is requested. Let me check through the evidence and see if... I don't recall doing one. Let's see. Evidence for firearms. Let me see what that has. I believe that's just projectiles. Just one minute, please. My system goes a little slow, Mm -hmm. so I'm trying to open it. Firearms. Yes, those are just the projectiles. So, no, I did not do a firearm uh, gunshot residue collection. It was not requested at the time, and that is not routinely performed. So, we really don't know that he had the shotgun in his hand and fired it if there was no residue tested. Well... That gets into the validity of gunshot residue, which I 
believe you should probably speak to a firearms expert on. Well, uh, 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 I mean, right? how many how many idiots do we have dealing with this situation? She was stuttering. <laughs> I'm sitting here listening to this woman like, really? Um, so, Amanda, real quick, did you talk to this medical examiner personally? No, throughout the, up until now, the GBI has never talked to me. They would never talk to anyone, that has, any other family, which I'm the one that handled everything throughout the beginning. They, they always told us we would have to either go through the coroner or the detective. They would never talk to us. Now, my private investigator, on the other hand, did talk to her. Okay. He talked to her. He went and made a, he made an appointment and went and sat down and went through everything with her for over three and a half hours. And her response from that appointment was, we're going to request a toxicology report. Once the toxicology report comes back, we're going to review the case and, you know, we'll go from there. Well, the toxicology report to me was pointless because we already knew DJ had meth in his system. They told us something we already knew. It was pointless. It was a waste of time and money. I agree. But thing about it is, is that was it, and it was never reviewed. They they keep saying that you know in statements from GBI that it was reviewed and that the chief medical examiner reviewed it. No, it wasn't. The toxicology report came back that he had meth in his system, and that was her response to that. That was all that was done. And that was all that. Yeah, that was all was done. That. He got meth in his system in the in the store. Wow. Right. Okay. All right. Well, guys, we're going to end this right here. We will be back with part two, and we will start off with this medical examiner's report because there was something that uh, Amanda brought up regarding what her mom wanted. Right. And the good thing that this private investigator asked about this. Okay, guys, we're going to get up out of here and we'll be back with part two. <laughs>